we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. It appears as though something has happened in the motorcade route. The Oswald has been shot. Paddock fired out of two adjoining rooms using a device similar to a hammer to smash the windows. Several uh, flying saucers there of extraterrestrial origin. To get Chris Graves. Hi, welcome back to Digging Chris Graves. Uh, today I have a great guest who I'm very familiar with um, through his work on the uh, the book and the documentary uh, "Drugs as Weapons Against Us." But he's done a, a lot of other things. He's actually had a uh, documentary uh, about COVID called "Shots." I'd like to talk to him about it a little bit. Uh, Mr. Potash, welcome to the show. And thank you uh, for the work you've been you've been doing the last few years. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Chris. And you can call me John. Thanks. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, John, um, for those that are not f too familiar, um, how did you how did you get started with this kind of research? Because uh, for me, I went back to the days of uh, Dave McGowan. Like he's actually someone I look up to and uh, I still try to get his name out there as much as I can keep his memory alive and things like that. But for you, uh, what brought you to uh, your research? Well, I started, I guess, um, way back in 1989, I'll say, is when I started working as a drug and alcohol counselor in Baltimore City. And I was just hearing a lot of uh, interesting stories from the people I counseled there and you know talking about how the cia is the biggest drug traffickers or, or they said the government they used to say the government they're the only ones that have the planes and the in the boats that can bring these drugs in that's that's what they told me and i would start i'd research that a bit and, you know i researched that and i saw how uh some evidence of what they were saying to be true and then in 1991 i was protesting the gulf war sitting in the middle of a road um in washington dc you know to, to block to block the street with some other protesters and uh some woman who was sitting next to me said you know asked me what you know a little bit about myself and she said oh well, i work for the christic institute and we're trying we, we're bringing a trial against the cia for you know trafficking cocaine and I, I can get you the congressional report that shows all the evidence of that so she wow. sent that to me and um, it was actually the Kerry Commission report, you know, Senator John Kerry, or when he was more radical at that time. And, uh, you know, yeah, radical is a strong word for a senator, of course, but he did come up with, you know, good evidence that the CIA was trafficking cocaine under uh, you know, Vice President George Bush. And when he was kind of directing Ali North and running you know, that to support the uh, Contras to overthrow the socialist sandinistas in nicaragua so i i included that in a in a kind of a political novel i was writing at the time based on some of the people i was counseling based on 
other research I was doing, and I was also researching the CIA and uh, and LSD and their use of LSD with Project MKUltra. Now, yeah. Project MKUltra was an umbrella project for 149 other subprojects, according to their own documents, and it was uh, mostly using drugs as weapons against us. And uh, that's what, of course, you know, I, I used for the title of my book and film. Uh, so I, that's where I got got my start in it all, and I just kept you know accumulating more and more evidence of all that over the years, you know, till I eventually. So obviously, it was a multi-decade project: drugs as weapons against us. Yeah. Wow! Wow! It, powerful stuff, too. And if you don't mind me saying, <clears throat> it was almost like a uh, a great companion piece for uh, for Gabe McGowan's weird scenes inside the canyon with the yeah. uh, movement of the '60s and all that. Mm -hmm. Sure. I yeah. Yeah. I, I um, emailed back and forth with Dave before he died, and. I uh, I really liked weird scenes a lot, and that's why um, after I read that, I was I had already I guess where was I when that book I was finished the the main really I was finished the book the book was in my uh, publisher's hands, and I just wanted to add something it's a sub chapter that included you know work from uh, weird scenes inside the canyon, so I, I did that I, I did a basically a summary of that and some of the other stuff from the book that just fit into other parts of my book because he he was one you know was interested in the same topics he was about five years older than me and he'd gotten started a little earlier on project mk ultra which he he alludes to in a few of his books all of his books are, are really well done there's only one book i don't think i read the whole thing of which was uh, uh something about deregulating democracy something about democracy but that, that's that one i didn't read but his other books Oh yeah, well, yeah. There's uh, understanding the F word and the one that you're talking about. It's right, right. So I read, yeah, I read, I read the F word book. I read um, program to his, kill. Uh, program to kill was excellent, and yeah. you know, but uh, so it was great to email back and forth with him, just comparing notes on publishers and stuff. And this was, you know, I said I we we decided to trade books because um, I hadn't read. I'd only read Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon at that time. I hadn't read his other books, and so he was going to send me Program to Kill, and I was going to send him uh, my, my copy of you know Drugs as Weapons Against Us, which had just come out a few weeks before. And so uh, I sent him Drugs as Weapons, but he then uh, got incredibly sick, you know, deathly sick at that time, and he, he died. So this was this was happening around July. I can't remember exactly what month of 2015, but it was around the summer of 2015, and he died in November of 2015. Sadly enough, November 22nd of all right, JFK's assassination date. It was ridiculous, yeah. but so um, yeah, that was really sad. So uh, his brother Craig, I keep in touch with. Me too. He sent me. He ended up sending me. He found my book on on Dave's desk. And said, okay, you know, yeah, I know you I know Dave was, of course, you know, reading your book, looking at your book at the time before his death. And uh, so, and um, I, you know, wow. here's a copy of uh, Program to Kill. So it was great to read Program to Kill. It's an excellent book. And yeah. Dave, yeah, was an amazing researcher. And so it's really sad to lose such an incredible researcher like him and writer. Yeah, and I've been trying to get, <laughs> I've been trying without being too pushing or too uh, pushy about it. I've been trying to get Craig to come on and talk about the weird circumstances in the last few months of uh, Dave's life too, because there yeah. are 
was some weird stuff going on, but no but doubt that, it's it's just yeah, it's tough on Craig because Craig's going through so much right now. Yes, he is. Um, he's dealing with his parents. He's dealing with uh, sickness and all kinds yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, I know my heart goes out to him, and I try to check in with him as much as I can. You know? Yeah, That's but nice. uh, yeah, no, he's a great he great guy, and uh, like I said, I hope he's doing okay. I the last time I talked to him was a couple of weeks ago, so. Um, did you ever have, <clears throat> I like I've been kind of, you know, I've had different core issues growing up that I would look into that you could call conspiracy theories or whatever, but like UFOs at first, kind of more benign stuff, but then things like JFK and Columbine and then definitely 9-11 changed my way in, uh, in terms of research and things. I noticed that you've done a couple of articles for Covert Action Magazine about yeah. JFK assassination were, were your eyes kind of open to that even back then like like in the younger years before all this well the first the first article I wrote for covert action magazine was when it was just in print form back in around 1998 or so and uh, I sent him an article and uh, you know the what I thought was the US intelligence murderous targeting of Tupac Shakur yeah um, I'd first tried to get an article in their magazine uh, in the spring, what was it the spring of 1995, before Tupac died. And one of their staff members basically like, like kind of pushed me out of the office and uh, into the hallway when I tried to give a copy of my article to um, one of the founders, wow. this guy Lou Wolf. And, uh, it was just, yeah, you know, they, this guy was a plant, I believe. Uh, and I don't even mind saying his name, Philip Smith and uh, Lou I'm friends with, you know, but he, I don't even think Lou understands that this guy was a plant. Um, nonetheless, I got other evidence for why I think this guy was a plant. Uh, they, their managing editor was a woman named Terry, I uh, forget her last name. Uh, and she, uh, I think she did a good enough, you know, I think she was there right before my article came out, but she um, was found to be dealing with trying to get money from a billionaire for the magazine without talking to the the founders of the magazine. So she was definitely a problematic and they fired her. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're bound when you have a CI whistleblowing magazine, you know, CI whistleblower was Phil Agee who started the magazine with Lou yeah. Wolf. And with uh, the other uh, the other founders whose names I forget now, it's because they've they're they've been out of it for a while. Um, it's not surprising that they might have a plant or two. Yeah, in there. It's not surprising yeah. that U.S. intelligence would would you know get people in there to try to manipulate the magazine and censor and stuff like that. So yeah. it's just not easy with that stuff. But um, so that was the first thing I got into. I uh, yeah I, I I knew a bit about JFK. I believed it was you know a U.S intelligence uh assassination I, I also believe that u.s intelligence probably assassinated malcolm x and martha king yeah. you didn't have all the evidence back then of course doing the research i found it yeah. uh and you know and so yeah I, I was into this stuff but i i started with studying robert kennedy more just really? because there was an overlap between robert kennedy believe it or not and a photographer, a high school photographer who was taking pictures Scott of Andy. Robert Kennedy when he was killed. Yeah. And then filed a lawsuit to get those pictures back when he was an adult. 
1996, okay, and he's in the middle. They're in the middle of this lawsuit. The the assassination happened with, I believe, it was in, in the area of the Ramparts precinct. Okay. Yep. And that precinct was the same precinct that had some undercover cops who were working for this crash unit. That was the area of the largest, you know, they called the largest LA police scandal in decades. And now, so that precinct had the cops that covered up the evidence and had the evidence around RFK's assassination. But also um, at that time when they were um, dealing with this lawsuit to get the pictures back about the assassination, they used uh, the police department, you, you know, in the LA city of LA used outside uh, counsel instead of their own kind of lawyers. They, they privatized, they contracted with private lawyers to deal with the the whole, you know, all the um, picture situ- the picture lawsuit of you know photos of of uh, RFK assassination, and the question was why? Why didn't they use you know the their own lawyers, their own you know city of Los Angeles lawyers? Right. And I would argue because that scandal was going on at that time, and that scandal involved the assassination of uh, Tupac Shakur, believe it or not. Okay, that and that assassination of Tupac Shakur was a much bigger operation than just the murder of one you know rapper. Now, one rapper happened to be, um, you know, the the top rapper and the you know most popular rapper in the world, but he was also a um, a serious activist who was um, basically trying to radicalize the gangs, get them to call peace truces, and turn on to activism and stop. Deal, you know, trafficking drugs and dealing drugs, yeah. and the CIA was doing the exact opposite. Now, what what Tupac was so influential in with the, that um, you know, radicalizing the gangs, but also getting them away from from drug dealing was uh, hurting the pockets of the billionaires who were you know who are part of the drug trafficking and the CIA that's part of the drug trafficking. So it was costing the billionaires and the banks billions of dollars because this this movement was spreading across the country and getting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of gang members to turn on to activism and, stop, and to stop dealing drugs. And that was huge. That was a huge blow to the to the revenue of the billionaires and a huge blow to the uh, their tool for for messing with the masses, you know, and getting them infighting, getting them sedated, divided and Divide and, and conquer. Divide and, and conquer. Conquered, right. Divide and conquer. Yeah. And so and and so this idea of using of the government using drugs to sedate and divide the masses was was told to me by Ramsey Clark, the former U.S. Attorney General. I was at a conference in 1991 in Baltimore City at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And uh, he was speaking there. And I, I came up to him afterwards and I just presented him the thesis of my political novel at the time which was about drugs and do you think they they use drugs to hurt you know to to hurt people's minds and to you know divide people and and all that stuff and he says yes i think they do use drugs to sedate and divide the masses and i um so i quoted him in my book and i just think that uh you know of course the political novel turned into nonfiction, and uh that's you know where i got some more of of uh, all this evidence but it's incredible how um, they're overlapping, you know, machinations. You know, they, they got 1960s coming into the 1990s 
And, uh, you know, the, the guy's photos, that high school guy's photos, his name was Scott Enyart. Yep. Uh, they, they said they, they were giving, he, he won his lawsuit. They were transporting his photos, his undeveloped photos to him, you know, developed. And then they said they, the oh, they lost the car. Yeah, they lost right. in the car coming over there. So yeah. it's all ridiculous the way Oops. they. <laughs> yeah, I remember Oops. that. Yeah, so. That's just some of, of yeah, the history of, of getting into this drugs. As yeah. Well. yeah. Now, before before I move on to a different topic, in your in your opinion, with RFK's death, do you think that we know that Sirhan was always in front of Bobby uh, or Mr. Mm-hmm. Kennedy um, and people attribute, you know, researchers attribute uh Caesar, the security guard that yeah. worked for Lockheed Martin, I believe he was putting into place like a week before. Right. Do you think that the polka dot girl was the third was a third shooter? Because there's been rumors before that I've been trying to get information on from at the time. There were reports that it, uh, there was a woman that was a, a gun a gunman too. Well, my understanding from the eyewitnesses is that woman in the polka dot dress was a was a like a hypnotic um, a handler boy, yeah. a handler for i mean i don't even know know if she knew she was a handler she was she seemed like she was some kind of uh mk ultra hypnotized zombie like sir hand mm-hmm. sir hand because she came out running uh from we got you know, him we got him president. we got him we got yeah. him yeah um like not even knowing what she was saying i guess and so um, so she, yeah, she was supposed to trigger Sir Han and, and guide Sir Han to do what he did. I do think there was another shooter. I can't remember who it might've been, but, um, yeah. but you know, then of course you got Eugene, like you said, Eugene Thane Caesar, the security guard right behind, you know, Robert Kennedy, um, and putting the gun up to his ear and, um, you know, he's the only one that he admitted he drew his gun and he was in the perfect position. And of course, uh, Bobby Kennedy grabs his his tie as he's falling. He's as holding if, it. Yeah, holding his tie, which is a clip one tie to, you know, and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, the evidence is overwhelming. Of course, that U.S. intelligence, you know, carried out that assassination. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. I always wondered that too <clears throat> for people that have researched uh, the RFK assassination because I had always. I always found little snippets here and there where in the reporting that there was besides Caesar, there was a third gunman. Yeah, I think there was, I think there was though. I, I can't remember. I heard, you know, the reports yeah. I read from the book assassinations with Jim DiGinio and, you know, who wrote it with uh, Lisa Pease. Um, there, there seemed to be uh, another gunman next to the woman, in the polka dot dress, because there were so many bullets fired. So many people hit. It's yeah. incredible how many people were hit by bullets. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of evidence of, of multiple gunmen for sure. Because it reminds me of the same thing where uh, JFK would, was not, to, in my opinion, was not going to be allowed to leave Dallas alive. So researching, you know, going back even for like Penn Jones and his, his work and everything back in the day. Like he had a couple of articles that were basically were, were kind of mentioned that the trademark could have been a, a team waiting for him there, almost like an ambassador hotel 
type scenario through the pantry mm-hmm. type thing. And then at the airport going back at Love Field, there was I, apparently guys that were arrested, but there's no paperwork or any reports to this day. But yeah, yeah just fascinating stuff. But. Yeah, there's so much, so many books on JFK, so yeah. many interesting aspects of it. And so I was just uh, really happy to talk to Jim DiEugenio about it a bit and uh, that he liked, he was, ha- he liked my first review of the two hour version of, of their, of Oliver Stone's and his film, you know, he wrote the, um, yeah. the, the script for the documentary, the four, four hour documentary with Oliver Stone, uh, the recent one, RF, you know, about JFK. Yeah. And uh, so they first came out with the two hour version. I wrote a, a, a film review of that for covert action. Yep. And he liked that. So he asked me if I'd, I'd write a, a film review for the four hour version, which I did. And um, I think they did great work. I mean, Jim DiEugenio and Alberston did great work on both, you know, both versions of it. And just there's so much incredible evidence, uh, you know, just confirming the way U.S. intelligence uh, likely you know, assassinated, you know, uh, President Kennedy. Well, if you look at all the other attempts, like the Chicago plot, Miami, mm-hmm. Tampa, yeah. even Los Angeles, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at all these other designated patsies like Thomas Arthur Valley. That mm-hmm. should tell people right there mm-hmm. that there's a conspiracy. But people shy away from that for some reason. Right, right. But if you look at that on its own, those are different plots. But almost like a Lee Harvey Oswald figure in every single one. In a high right. vantage point and everything. Like the whole Dealey Plaza kind of setup yeah. of all these areas. So it's not beyond... In my mind, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that there were other shooting yeah. teams that like to trademark and things because they needed to get this done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it's I- two veterans, two war veterans who were in the security detail uh, just behind President Kennedy said there was there was shots from various directions coming at, you know, President Kennedy. From everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's just, uh, yeah, if you... If people want to you know, check out Covert Action Magazine, just type yeah. in. Oh, sorry. They'll see, they'll see my review of um, the four-hour documentary and where they can find the four-hour documentary. It's an excellent, an excellent you, documentary. You yeah. have a lot of great articles on Covert Action Magazine. Thanks a lot. And uh, a lot of like you, about the Netflix special on the, the called the Finder uh, Keepers. The keepers. Yeah. I always say the Finders. Uh, Dave McGowan, you know, looking into that and everything. Yeah. But but yeah, with the MK Ultra uh, priest. Basically, like using MK Ultra and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, here's, I'll tell you, I'm jumping around here. I apologize. Okay. I got ADD pretty bad. Um, a big, uh, one of the first things I really researched was the death of Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Recently, it's it's come out in the last year or so, but with COVID and all that, I got distracted. But I, I didn't even realize that Courtney was in Epstein's black book and that mm-hmm. Courtney with the CIA ties and all the, the tabs of acid and uh, you yeah. know, in Ireland and England, if you could just tell everyone, cause you wrote uh, an article for covert action magazine on that as well. Yeah. Thanks. So, yeah. So I wrote that article for covert action for a few reasons and, you know, some, some, which you just mentioned, uh, I guess the main reason though, was because there, an FBI file came out with uh, 10 to 12 pages or so when Kurt Cobain and, uh, and in that it was, they, they, he, they got sent 
transcripts of this Unsolved Mysteries episode that laid out loads of, of evidence that uh, Cobain was murdered. It wasn't a suicide. Courtney Love was involved. Um, things were covered up. It, um, I believe it was that uh, episode that Cyril Weck, the former president of the American Friends Association, yep. uh, gave his opinion about it all. Um, and, and so I have a link in that article to um, Dr. Wecht saying that he believed, you know, for Pittsburgh News, I think it was CBS News in Pittsburgh or so, um, that he believed that Kurt Cobain was, uh, you know, uh, they made it look like a suicide to hide the fact that it was a homicide. And so it's just loads of evidence around the fact that Courtney Love, of course, played played a part in this. And and U.S. intelligence must have have carried it out to be able to pull it off and cover it up in such a worldwide extensive way, because this is the little, you know, at, at that time, he was arguably the most popular guy in the world, you know, being the top musician, most beloved musician in the world. He was also rad had radical politics. He said in a biography that came out about Nirvana before he died that uh, he wanted to put all kinds of revolutionary anarchistic essays on the front on the cover of Nevermind, which sold 30 million copies. Um, you know, but he said you better better get popular first before we you know where, where people will actually uh, take us more seriously right. before we do something like that. And so he. Um, yeah, there's just the best evidence is, is that uh, Courtney Love played a part and uh, she had, the, you know, this bizarre background growing up as a uh, going to, to counseling regularly since, uh, you know, around the age of three years old, according to different biographical accounts yeah. and, uh, and in memoir accounts. And she told um, her biological father, who, who was uh, estranged from her, when she was about five or six, because her mother, biological mother's parents were these extremely wealthy uh, people who basically owned uranium mines. They had a huge ownership in in Bausch and Lomb, the you know the eyeglass and contact lens people, and uh, they they just were extremely wealthy, and they were sexually abusing their daughter. And the daughter said in her memoir. Uh, and her that woman's name's uh, Linda Carroll. Yeah. She's supposedly a therapist, but you know she's very sketchy. So she was abused growing up by her father by her own admission. Her father was a you know, bit of an alcoholic too. And so her parents bought uh, bought out the lawyer for um, Courtney Love's biological father, Hank Harrison. He was estranged from her for years, and then she was in a um, kind of an institution, locked up in an institution when she was about thirteen years old. Courtney Love was. And she just wrote letters to her dad. Can you please get me out? My my counselors have been having sex with me and psychiatrists have been having sex with me for years. They've been giving me psychohypnotic drugs. And she mentioned all these exotic psychohypnotic drugs that were the same kind of psychohypnotic drugs that were used in uh, CIA's Project MKUltra. And, that, and the CIA documents say they use these drugs plus hypnosis in order and plus abuse in order to turn you know uh young kids into cia assets like assassins or sex you know prostitutes or whatever they want to use them for and i have a film of two women testifying and before a presidential commission in 19 it was about 1993 or so 
during the Clinton era, where President Clinton allowed these hearings to be held about these experiments going on. And uh, so they were testifying with their therapists who who confirmed everything they said. They named names in MKUltra that were there because they they slipped out and looked at, at files and stuff. Um, some of these girls when they were being tortured and abused in these yeah. laboratories and stuff. And so um, anyway, so here's Courtney Love going through all these same things, at least saying she went through all these things and, and the evidence is there that she did. And so her dad gets her out of, of this juvenile detention facility. She lives with him and he realizes that she'd already turned into a monster before he got her out of there in terms of she was prostituting herself with a local madam. She was uh, uh, shooting up heroin and leaving dirty, ne you know, leaving needles around the uh, his house. Yeah. And he just couldn't take it with her. He couldn't he couldn't live with someone like that as his, his wife, his new wife. You know, I mean, Linda Carroll was just his partner who he gave, you know, had a, had a kid with, according to Love. But his new partner couldn't handle it, said, we got, we can't, we can't live with this, this girl. This girl's out of control and we can't do anything about it. So, um, so he just was like, sent, you know, he said, you can't live with me. You, you got to live somewhere else. Um, and so she was prostituting. She was making money. She was able to survive. Meanwhile, she goes, though, and starts prostituting with the Japanese mafia. She calls herself, uh, you know, a, a victim of the white slave trade um, mm -hmm. in Japan. She writes letters back to a boyfriend that she's uh, been prostituting in, you know, I believe it was Taiwan at the time to uh, make money to get back to him. And so she's just, you know, totally out there. We don't know exactly why, but we do know that uh, when she visits Hank Harrison, when he's doing research for a book in, in Ireland, um, he, somebody befriended him, a guy named um, uh, Stephen O'Leary. And the Stephen O'Leary ends up on his deathbed some years later, about, you know, uh, two decades later or so. In 2005 or so, he says he sends a letter to Hank Harrison saying that when I was, uh, when I, you know, hooked up with you in, in Ireland and then I, you know, I slept with Courtney and took Courtney to uh, England and all, I was actually doing work for the government at that time. I was, I, had to, I wasn't a spy per se. But I had to give bigger reports to, to the U.S. Embassy, and I had to visit them weekly. And I had to, you know, so he was a spy. He basically was a spy and and working for U.S. intelligence, and you know, if not the CIA, yeah, yeah, yeah. the CIA. And uh, so he takes Courtney Love to England, and she's got a thousand hits of LSD on her, of acid on her, and she's seventeen, you know, and uh, she had already gotten, you know, uh, all kinds of operations on her self to look better you know but she's a young new yeah. ball girl and she she proceeds to give out this acid like candy to all these rock groups and sleeps with all these you know uh budding musicians in the in england and and this was a copy of, of the behavior of the assistant director of um Brit of uh sorry cia's project mk ultra from 1965 guy named robert lashbrook now that that information comes from a book by Ernest Hemingway's editor, um, guy named who wrote the book Blown Away, a guy named A. E. Hotchner. And in Blown Away, about the Rolling Stones and the uh, English scene in the sixties, uh, he says that Lashbrook came over with uh, with loads of LSD, loads of agents, and loads of money, and paid tons of people to get LSD in as many musicians' hands as possible in '65. Soon after he comes over to, to England, uh, 
the dentist for George Harrison uh, <laughs> slips acid into the drinks of John Lennon and George Harrison at a little at when he invited them over for dinner. Uh, George Harrison didn't know what it was. He says, "What's what's LSD? I never heard of it because it wasn't popular in England at the time, like it was starting to get popular in the United States." And John Lennon screamed, "It's this is a drug! You know how could you do this, you asshole? You know and." Yeah. And um, so at that time, so they're dosed, they're pissed off. But um, some months later, when they're touring in England and touring in the United States, and all these you know American musicians acted like it's fun, it's normal, everyone's doing it, you should do it too. They they convinced John Lennon and George Harrison to trip again. Problem with that is is the the ones that convinced them were people like uh, David Crosby who is from one of the wealthiest families in the, you know, in the country. Royal bloodline too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, he's from the Rensselaer and Van Cortland families. Okay. And uh, anyone who lives in New York city knows the Van Cortland expressway and the Van Cortland park. It's like a 2000 acre park. You know, I mean, these people were the well, some of the wealthiest families in the world, at least in the country in America. And so, um, this is, you know, these are the kinds of people that were given instant stardom and that, you know, Dave McGowan researched well with his weird scenes inside the, the uh, Can- Laurel Canyon in the, ca- in the canyon. And the ones that he showed had, had U.S. intelligence connections and the oligarch, you know, obviously we're, we're kids of the oligarchs. Yeah. And so uh, that, so here's Courtney Love repeating the same behaviors. Um, now, now an FBI undercover agent um, who was also part of MI5, according to the Daily Mail newspaper, which is a regular, you know, the, probably one of the top newspapers in, in London, yeah. um, says that uh, this guy Dave Schneiderman convinced Mick Jagger in 1967 to try acid for the first time. And a few hours after he, he tries acid, they, they come in and arrest, um, you know, Mick Jagger and, and some other Rolling Stones, but they don't arrest Schneiderman, who's got a whole briefcase full of different drugs, including tons of acid, you know. And so that's the way it all works. And so here's Courtney Love repeating those behaviors in England, then and with with the guidance of these of Stephen O'Leary and according to Harrison, her brother Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Is that the so, same one yeah. I'm thinking of? Yeah. So it's so it, there's a big question: Is it the same one? And and you know, and so we're still you know we're still still exploring that, but nonetheless. Okay. Um, Courtney Love then does the copies those behaviors with painkillers, acid, and other drugs in a number of major cities in the United States until until she gets to L.A. and marries, gets the uh, top punk rocker in L.A. to marry her. He he realizes that she married this crazed Republican woman, this woman who's just I mean I don't care about the political party, but this woman who says wars are good for us, you know. What was his quote of uh, the uh, comedian, the the lady? Yeah, comedian. like 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 Phyllis, a, a Phyllis Killer. Phyllis yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So um, he's he's got he he goes running, you know, from her. He, he can't take it anymore. She gets she gets if he doesn't do what she said, she would get uh, thugs to beat him up. Yep. You know, like it's totally bizarre marriage yeah. there. Now, do you that. remember this? Uh, do you not to cut you off? I apologize, sure, but that's right. it. Uh, was it in the movie Curtain Courtney that are we talking about James Moreland? Because yeah, James I, think, I think either in the movie or outside of it, and this is allegedly I I could be misremembering it or whatever. But did she get pregnant and then do something to the pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Okay, all right. 
Yeah, he so, says that. Yeah, I mean that's quoted in, in you know uh, some books about, about. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay. and so yeah, he was upset about that too. But but uh, it's just yeah, he she was a nightmare obviously to be married to then, and then she goes and inserts herself into the Seattle scene. Yeah. Well, she basically you know throws herself at at Kurt Cobain when his you know never minds rising in the charts, you know has a meteoric rise in the uh, sales charts. And, um, you know, Get and yourself pregnant, right? Got herself pregnant and, uh, you know, was having the kid and he yeah. did, he wanted to do the right thing. And this is the first time he's ever, you know, used a heroin daily. He said, yeah. according to his diaries, he tried a few times to relieve this massive stomach problem, this terrible stomach pain he had. Yeah. And that's, but he was looking for a, a cure that wasn't heroin. He didn't want to use heroin daily. And but she got him using heroin daily for the first time, according to friends on the scene there. And so and his friends on the scene said she did that to manipulate him, to control him. And so when he found the cure for his stomach problem, he got he got clean and sober. And he was sober for at least at least a month before his death, because the when he was in Rome and she brought the Rohypnol over there, which was legal in England, where she had been she had been. Yeah. Um, got prescribed to her and the, of course where hypnol is roofies yep. you know that the date rape drug so she so all these all these people that are touring with Kurt Cobain at the time in uh, Italy at the time uh, said he wouldn't do any drugs he wouldn't even drink you know or use drink alcohol or smoke weed or do anything else with you know the other is you know bandmates and touring partners are all you know getting high a little here and there and drinking he wouldn't do anything he even wanted to quit smoking at one point. I had yeah, read. yeah. And so Cobain was divorcing Courtney Love at the time. And, you know, I have in my film uh, Tom Grant's excellent tapes of of yeah. their lawyer saying, yeah, that Cobain was divorcing Courtney Love at the time. And uh, she brings over, you know, but he did want to see his, his uh, daughter, Frances being Cobain. And so she brought... Courtney brought the daughter over to LA to see him, but then she nearly killed him with a huge amount of uh, rohypnol in his drink. He went into a coma, luckily survived, came out, but then she uh, had already uh, talked to Eldon Hoke about, you know, I'll offer you some 60 grand to kill, kill my husband, to blow my husband's head off. Yeah. You know, blow my old man's head off. He said, she said or something. This he is where we, I, John, I just want to let you know, this is where yeah. we diverge because I think I actually talked to the guy who pulled the trigger in the greenhouse. Uh -huh. But I, I think I, based on other interviews you've done, I think I know where you're going with the Alan character. Yeah, Alan Wrench. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you go, but I just want to say That's something. Okay. Yeah, no, I welcome diversion. You know, I, I welcome different points of view. It's, you know, it, yeah, it could have been someone else besides Alan Wrench. I have no, I have no idea for sure. I, this is just, can I, I just tell you? Right sure. off the bat, who I think it was, and I yeah, actually, me, I'd love to hear. I think it was Kelly Dewitt, Michael Dewitt, the nanny that was in the house the whole time. He definitely played a part. There's no oh, doubt yeah. about that. Yeah, he I mean, I, I, I can believe he, he pulled the trigger. I, I, I don't know for sure. I just, I definitely think. Kelly I don't either. Allegedly, I just want to say, in an age of lawsuits, allegedly, I think. Right, right. No, I could believe it was Kelly Dewitt too. I, I, I don't know for sure, but um, Kelly Dewitt was a heroin addict who, who, um, you know, Cobain wanted to fire. Yep. He didn't want him in his house. He didn't want him. He's a nanny. He's, he's working for, for Courtney Love as a nanny and who, and she's supplying him regularly with heroin. Her ex-boyfriend. 
and and probably having sex with them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know what all is going on there, but it's a bizarre scene. His girlfriend's and, Jessica Hopper, who ends up with cushy uh, jobs afterwards at Geffen and things like that. Well, yeah. and all right, I mean to be really, but I remember no, that's uh, important. No, there, there's just so much, so many bizarre people in this scene. There's also Elvin Hope guard. didn't pass the polygraph though about the fifty thousand dollars. So you're right when you were talking about that, and then when right. he conveniently says Alan on film in Curtin Courtney, right. and then he gets hit by a train a week later. And the last person seen with him is Alan Wrench. That's right. So, so, so whether Wrench pulled the trigger or Callie pulled the trigger, we'll, we'll, um, never, know. we'll never know. <laughs> they both were probably involved, you know, Could in be. some way, in some right. way that, that we know, we know Callie's, I mean, we don't know, but Callie was there. Callie's working for, he Courtney. was on the phone the whole time telling Courtney that Kurt's yeah. here and everything. And that's before yeah. she hires Tom Grant to go yeah. find Kurt. So she yeah. knew the whole time. And so, so Tom Grant's this private detective who, who used to work, you know, as a, you know, for the L.A. County Sheriff's Sheriff's Department as a you know detective. Yeah. And um, he finds a massive evidence that Courtney loves involved in the murder of, uh, of Cobain. Yeah. But he's he just doesn't uh, he doesn't believe or doesn't seem to believe that it, it could go that high up where it could be U.S. intelligence. He doesn't I don't think he just knows enough about you know, project, he doesn't know project MK ultra. He doesn't know what us intelligence can do. He doesn't know. He, yeah. He poo, he kind of poo pooed like nine 11 truth and JFK yeah. uh, research and things. So I understand. That's too bad. But overall he did, he did good research oh, yeah. when this, you know, in this death, when Cobain's, um, you murder the murder investigation, he found a bunch of great evidence yeah. uh, about that it was a murder and that love was involved and uh you know and try what to you give found well what you found may, may what you found mr pote uh john yes. <laughs> what you found uh, i thought i i arrogantly thought i knew everything that there was about kurt cobain's death and then when you brought up the thing about the missing pages like the fbi documents and things like that that blew it up to where I started looking back into it. And then all of a sudden Courtney's in Epstein's black book, mm -hmm. uh, the CIA uh, guy that was talking to Hank Harrison at the time right? Like on his deathbed tells him, yeah, no, I gave her all these acid tabs to, mm -hmm. to give out. And I wanted to ask you, was Kathy O'Brien one of the two uh, ladies that you had saw the testimony about MK ultra? No, she wasn't. Okay. But I, I like Kathy O'Brien's testimony, but, you know, okay. and she just, she just, I mean, she just gave speeches, Kathy O'Brien. And okay. I think she's uh, very interesting. Yeah. But um, with, yeah, with the FBI documents, it's, it's ridiculous that the FBI can say, oh, it's out of our jurisdiction. We don't investigate these things. <sighs> right. Because, but someone has to cross state lines for, for us to investigate. And, you know, basically, Courtney Love goes from Seattle to Los Angeles, from Washington to cross state line to California. Right. Offers this guy, you know, $60,000 <laughs> to kill uh cobain and they can't investigate you know it's obvious that a, a plan to murder is a crime and uh it, it crossed state lines to do it and so obviously the sh fbi should have investigated multiple state lines multiple and so it's obvious that, that the yeah. fbi is not investigating because either they were involved or they're involved in the cover-up or the yeah. cia who's above them is ordering them not to investigate and so right. that's some of the way this stuff works and it goes goes from the CIA at the top to the FBI below them to F to the police intelligence below them. And so there's police intelligence in every police department 
And sometimes the FBI agents are both FBI and police intelligence in a department. That's the way it works. And I found that from the, the uh, Tupac Shakur investigation because uh, it was found with Biggie Smalls murder, which was done to uh, hide what really happened with Tupac to make it look like some stupid East Coast, West Coast rivalry where they, they kill each other over a rivalry. It's ridiculous because yeah. um, they were friends before this stuff happened. Uh, basically, you had an agent uh, who I, um, I forget, Detective Oldham uh, in New York, and uh, Nick Broomfield did a lot of good work around this too, and came out with some of this. And uh, the book Labyrinth came out with some some of this too, where Detective Oldham was both working for the FBI and for New York Police, and was uh, at the scene where uh, Biggie Smalls was murdered, and in Los Angeles, you know, so. This is uh, just some of the and it was part of taking pictures of Biggie Smalls within minutes of his murder. And so, yeah, this is the way the way this all works. So that's that's why it's so easy for the CIA or to then, you know, get local police intelligence to help cover up whatever they want in in local areas like the Seattle Police Department covering up things for Courtney Love. You know, and that's that's part of how it all works. And, you know, again, and they, they did it to the Los Angeles Police Department and the Seattle police department in that regard and i i believe that uh hank harrison even mentioned in passing before mm-hmm. that courtney would uh brag about how she would sleep with generals and things like that in like alaska yeah that's that's actually she said that to uh moreland to james moreland or oh, him too and says, that's why the wars are good for us you know they, they the generals told her the wars are good for us and that's you know how she knows right but um yeah she was sleeping with generals in alaska but yeah and so then she ends up in um you know i wrote this I wrote a a long piece for another journal i forget the name garrison the name of the journal was um garrison journal yeah yeah right. so i wrote a really long piece on courtney love and epstein in there and um in that you know that's where i'd found the evidence that you know courtney love was one of the only women that was circled as a material witness by jeffrey epstein's uh, house manager and, and jeffrey epstein's house manager stole his black book and circled and for the defense team said i have all these hundreds of names in this black book who, who could you who were your actual material witnesses that we could bring up in court that actually saw the sex abuse going on and all that stuff and he court he circled courtney love along with um uh kind of kind of an israeli former israeli uh you know top official or u.s intelligence per- i mean uh, Mossad, intelligence person Mossad yeah. person um but anyway so she was epstein was u.s intelligence according to labor secretary under trump uh this guy acosta who who was told to lay off of epstein when when he prosecuted him in miami because he said lay off him because you know he's he's got one a higher pay grade than you he's part of u.s intelligence and so um epstein was intelligence uh courtney love was obviously some of the evidence from other people I, I didn't couldn't even get into suggests that she was actually kind of playing a madam for some of these young women under Epstein. She yeah. was uh, recruiting them to to work for Epstein, but that's you know that's I haven't gotten all the evidence. Yeah. That. I didn't put that in my article, so I can't really um, like be sure of that. But she was obviously working. She was there. She she witnessed this stuff happening at Epstein's, and so so that's just some of the evidence against her. But so. I guess with our um, certain amount of time left, I mean, I, I can go a little over an hour, but 
Uh, yeah, well, uh, what I was going to ask you about was sure. your uh, your COVID uh, documentary shots too. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, thanks for asking, Chris. But um, yeah, the shots documentary was originally supposed to be Drugs as Weapons Against Us Part Two, like a comic version of it. Okay, and really? so yeah, so I was I was writing. I just wanted to, to create a project that was more fun you know just like a comic version of drugs as weapons against us was something i thought okay more fun film and i was writing a, a fun film script on that and covid hit and i just kept finding more and more evidence that there was ridiculous foul play around covid i mean the, the tyranny that was happening was just unbelievable itself yeah but People were coming out with stuff such as this uh, New York uh, Times journalist, um, Berenson, Alex Berenson, was coming out with things about um, COVID truth and the you know, truth behind whatever's going on here and just coming out with like that we should not be locked down according to the CDC's own study for how to handle a much more severe pandemic. They don't yeah. call for like massive lockdowns for a long time. They don't keep kids from school for so long and do all these things that they're doing and and the uh, idea about masks is uh according to studies is ridiculous to be you know enforcing these masks um and just all these different things that Berenson was finding um and then of course i ran into uh children's health defense and robert kennedy jr's a great website that all these um doctors telling talking about what was going on with this you know the the kind of the coronavirus itself and the way they're handling it, what's going on with the gain of function research that led to the coronavirus. The gain of function research was uh, kind of funded by Anthony Fauci. Um, and then of course, Robert Kennedy Jr. came out with this amazing book, The Real Anthony Fauci, which was just uh, just incredible research, incredible writing. And um, it's it's voluminous. And I actually wrote a, uh, a long book review of that, but couldn't get it published that book review published at the time which is a shame um and still hard to get to get published but i just put it on my own website and uh nonetheless i before i came out with before i wrote that book review before rfk jr wrote that book i had my film done and i found a distributor thank thankfully and uh so now it's you know it's a and available to people for free on Tubi called Shots Eugenics to Pandemics. And it just has a, a load of information of how the oligarchs from the era, era of eugenics to the World War One, where they tested one to two dozen yeah. experimental vaccines on the soldiers and then on the general populations. These oligarchs had banks not only in the United States and had so much control of the United States, but they had banks in all in a number of European countries where they pushed their you know, experimental vaccines that appeared, according to a lot of documents and a lot of doctors and people who lived at the time, appeared to be the real the real cause of the Spanish flu. I mean yeah. even a PBS documentary called it the so-called Spanish flu. And so you know it appears to be what really killed millions of people were these experimental shots. Sadly enough, now I don't know that for sure, and I don't get into that, you know, too in depth. Though I do cover it a bit in my film, but later on, I do get into all this, all the way they experimented with these biological agents when you know in in wars, and how they, um, you know, use this gain of function research. I um, mean, for things like 
government documents were found under this uh, special operation called Baseless. And the guy named Nicholson Baker wrote, uh, found these government documents and wrote up about them all in his book, Baseless. And then wrote a New York, I think it was a New York uh, Magazine article uh, about Baseless, still funding funding gain-of-function research that uh, was being done at the Wuhan lab that with coronaviruses. Wow. And so um, Fauci's funding this coronavirus research that's making this virus more deadly in Wuhan. And then, you know, people are saying, oh, it, it didn't come out of there. It came out of some bat, you know, market in China. What, yeah. But we all know it came out of the Wuhan lab, and now they're finally saying it, it could have come out of the Wuhan lab. And so the question is, did it leak or did it, was it let go on purpose? Because yeah. they had a history of letting you know deadly viruses go or just dangerous viruses go on purpose in China and Russia, our supposed mortal enemies. And um, they they'd done that in the 90s, and you know according to this uh, article, on, you know based on these baseless documents. These government documents and so yeah it's it's ugly stuff but uh, and then you get into the vaccine the, you know the covid vaccine and the covid vaccine is killing just outrageous numbers of people it's killing more people than all the other vaccines combined over the last 30 years and um you know it's causing just so many massive problems and this this is coming from government websites you know such as the um bears you know vaccine adverse event reporting system and people can look up this stuff at openbears.com. Yeah. But um, my film shows openbears.com. You can even just, just watch the trailer of my film and get the uh, website for openbears.com. Uh, so, yeah, that's – and so, you know, if people actually want to check out the film, it's free on Tubi. It's The uh, DVD has 15-plus extra bonus minutes and stuff. But you ask me any questions you like about that, Chris. Sure. Have you had any um... – have you had any, like, I don't want to say dangerous, but have you had any kind of um, pushback about that documentary in particular, especially in the times that we're in right now? Oh, yeah, massive. I mean, sure. Okay. Yeah, people people don't want to, you know, lot, I mean, there's so much censorship on it. My uh, Drugs as Weapons Against this film, even though the subtitle is the CIA War on Musicians and Activists. Yeah. And there was some censorship with that. It's still, that's one uh, about nine different venues it's being you know you can see it or see it on nine different menus or, or buy it from and you can buy it from a lot of different places yeah. but um with shots um it's really hard to get on the same menus um i mean yeah shots as i say it's free on tubi you can you can buy rent it on google play you can rent it on microsoft you can actually even i think you can even rent the whole film believe it or not on, on youtube even though youtube won't play the trailer Right. As far as that sounds, YouTube can rent it, but the, but they won't play the trailer. They censor the trailer. It's, yeah, that's really bizarre. So uh, I'm glad you know our interview is going to be on places like Rumble and Odyssey yeah. and shoot because because um, they're, they're the only ones that that will play my trailer. You know, the only channels that will play my trailer. So you know, we are in Orwellian times officially, yeah. in my opinion, and. Yeah. I guess in closing, I just wanted to ask, um, sure. are there certain subjects that you haven't touched upon, like in your writing or even uh, as a documentary or anything that you would very much like to pursue? Like, I, I never really heard you talk about 9-11 or things like that, or the school shootings yeah. or s certain subjects like that maybe we 
we wouldn't know you to be interested in or affiliated with uh, research. Yeah, well, I, I allude to, I talk a little bit about 9-11 and my drugs as weapons. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, you know, sure, I, I'm interested in that. Um, yeah, I'm interested in a load of different other subjects that it's just, it's just hard to have time to, to get to, you know, and talk about or, you know, in films or, or books. Or sure. even in a fiction way, like like you had referred to before, that you were kind of doing like a satire version of uh, of drugs as weapons. What like would you ever revisit something like that? Maybe not that that topic or that book, but like, would you like to do like basically what my our, our mutual friend Donald Jeffries? Like, he, yeah, uh, I've been trying to get people like producer type people to look at. Um, another a book the novel he's written called the uh, simulators it's kind of in the same vein as the unreals his first book and i can kind of see that he you know he likes writing the nonfiction stuff like hidden history and things like that but right. i just as a creative person myself it, it pains me to see that you know no one really takes a look at the fictional side of like a, a yeah. writer's work do you have like things that you in a fictional sense that you'd like to get produced or yeah I, I was uh working on this political kind of novel for decades yeah I just i just can't get it out i mean i can't get myself to finish it so um so right. i keep diverting to again you know back to the comic version of drugs as weapons um which is uh being finished now um and oh really yeah. Oh, okay. You so you were able to do the yeah. version. Yeah, okay. I kept kept the clips that I, that I cut out, and then when I changed it to shots, and uh, now you know turned into this new thing. Okay. Um. So, yeah, and uh, but yeah, so that's basically the next project. Yeah, it's the next thing I'm going towards. Sure. Okay, I know that there were some things that you're you, you can't really talk about too that you might be working on. So. I won't press yeah. press you on that, but I, I love uh, all your work. I love like uh, the Thanks covert so much, act, action articles. Like I love that. I just wrote a thing about the TWA eight hundred missing uh, videos of the explosion for Garrison Journal. So great, uh, great. yeah. So I uh, yeah, no, I really appreciate all, all your work. And for for those that uh, would like to check out more of your work and to maybe contact you if you want to be contacted, where can they find all that? Yeah, so the best place is johnpodash.com, uh, just like they can see on the screen. But if people are hearing this on Spotify, it's J-O-H-N-P-O-T-A-S-H.com. Okay. And uh, that just has basically you know all my work and links to all my work. And uh, some number of articles I wrote that couldn't get into other places. Okay, cool. All right, well, I hope... Uh... I hope to talk to you many more times, sir. And Enjoy, uh, Chris. and uh, you have a great rest of your day. You do Appreciate the same. Enjoy talking with you. I enjoyed the Thanks, same yeah. thing. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye bye.